0: If you would like to know different strategies to improve your quality life during your cancer journey, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Taking Charge of My Cancer Podcast, where I'll be interviewing different healthcare professionals, cancer survivors, and I'll be teaching you different resources, tips, and solutions so you can get the best outcomes while dealing with cancer. Welcome to Taking Charge of My Cancer Podcast, episode 21. I am Durley Muñoz, your host, and I am so excited to have this conversation with an amazing colleague and researcher, Cheryl Brunel. So Cheryl is an associate director of the Breast Cancer Related Lymphedema Research Program and a clinical specialist in physical therapy at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. She earned her physical therapy degrees at the University of Toronto, Canada, Complete her lymphedema certification with Drs. Albert and Olive, Olivier LeDuc in London, England, and with close training in Boston. Um, She's uh, her clinical focus is on oncology program and the staff development with the um, General Massachusetts, or Mass General, Department of Physical and Occupational Therapy, and the evaluation and treatment of patients during and after breast cancer treatment for issues such as surveillance and early intervention for lymphedema, shoulder morbidity, and the conditioning resulting from breast cancer and its treatment. she is a strong proponent of lymphedema screening, a standard of care for patients treated with breast cancer. Since 2005, over 6,800 women has been screened for lymphedema after breast cancer treatment with Mass General Lymphedema Prospective Screening Program. She joined the lymphedema research program in 2014, and since which time she has published over 25 papers, has collaborated on multidisciplinary teams to update hospital policies, including recommendations to receiving the COVID vaccine after lymph node removal for breast cancer, as well as collaborated on a recent white paper establishing measurement guidelines for lower extremity lymphedema in research studies. She presents the team's research works regularly at national and international conference. Charles' breast cancer-related lymphedema research interests include early intervention, measurement, uh, effects of COVID vaccine after lymph node removal, prospective surveillance, precautionary measurements, and breast edema. And I can continue talking about the amazing work she does like for hours. So, Charles, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm super excited to have you in this podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting
0: me. We go back a long way and I I'm just so happy to see you and be part of this. Thank you. That's awesome. So will you want to tell us how did you end up in this mission? Just, you know, being a PT and oncology.
1: Yes. So I've been a physical therapist and actually a certified lymphedema therapist for almost 25 years now. I feel very old, um, but I'm just, I'm really fortunate to be in a position where I have clinical practice and research. And I think it's a very nice position to be in as a physical therapist because it's quite rare to be able to balance one's career with research and clinical practice. Um, So it's nice because my clinical practice drives my research questions. and, And I'm very curious about some of the things I see in patients. And then in turn, my research, I can bring that right in the room and make sure that what I'm doing with patients is evidence based, and it's my job to be on top of the literature and be able to answer their questions. And I hope they feel like I can, you know, support them in that way. Um, you, when you introduced me, thank you for that kind introduction. Um, you know, our, we are very strong proponents here of screening, and that is very much a big part of the mission of what we do here at Mass General Hospital. Uh, we strongly believe that every woman. Who has breast cancer should have access to screening, and you know this. There's so many recommendations now from national, international organizations that we should be doing this, yep. and this should be standard of care. But most facilities still aren't, and I think in many in many ways there's good reason for that. There are a lot of challenges in this healthcare system to to starting a lymphedema screening program. The literature is not clear on how we measure lymphedema. We don't agree on how we measure lymphedema. We don't agree on how we diagnose lymphedema. So there are a lot of challenges. And I think our team, I know our team wants to be a part of helping to mentor different facilities and different clinics on starting a program. We've learned so much as we've done this. This program started in 2005. We've actually screened over 7,500 women now. The Bible is a little bit old. But, you know, we've learned a lot of lessons and I think helping to mentor other facilities or at least just support them in any way we can so that we can see that screening becomes standard of care for patients, for women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, We just collaborated with a team at Boston Medical Center. You know, this is a facility who has the trust and the clinical rapport and serves um, communities of color. 40% 40% of their population is, is black and those women present with much higher risk cancers and they're at much higher risk of lymphedema. Yeah. And yet they, they're they just going to publish their data now, but only half of women who had lymphedema in their population in their paper in the last few years were referred for treatment and oh, wow. only half of those were able to attain treatment and and go to their therapy sessions. So there are so many barriers right now. And if, if we have learned many things over the last 20 years and hope that we can share some of those, um, but to try to really ensure that underserved populations have equitable access to screening and that every woman in every community should be able to access
0: it as well. Okay, that was, thank you, and again, You've been an amazing um, like mentor in a way, like you always reaching out to you is I so enjoy every conference I go. It's just such a it's kind of like, you know, sometimes you have people that come across that. Yeah, they teach you something and you get the information versus you have the passion. And I have the pleasure to shadow you in the clinic. Just you know, last year. And that was amazing experience. That was super great to actually see well, you. you and and
1: I learned, learned you and I learned taught each other that day and we learned a lot together. We saw some pretty great patients
0: exactly. Day. so that was it that was great. So so I'm really, you inspire me a lot in what you guys do. and and even though I wish i I'm in an institution that support more that research part, which I would love to be part of it, but I'm still, always like seeking for new things, new information. How can we just be really on top of things as well where I work at? So thank you for that. Well, I think you do that
1: because when I hear you speak at conferences, your passion is palpable. And I always, I see your name on the docket and I show up because I know (laughs) it will be a great presentation.
0: Thank you. Um, Were you always planning to do this? No, no, not at all. So when I was younger, I just, I loved sports
1: and I loved science. And I did an undergraduate degree in human kinetics. Uh-huh. And it was the university I went to in Canada, which is home for me, uh, was very biomechanics-based, very physics-based, engineering-based. And I loved it. And what I wanted to go into was prosthetics.
0: Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And
1: making prosthetics and supporting people who lost limbs to surgeries or traumas Um, however, when I started doing my clinical rotations at the university of Toronto in physical therapy, um, I quickly realized I just loved being in the hospital and I loved inpatient PT Uh and I loved the fact that I didn't know what was wrong with a lot of these patients and I had to figure it out, you know, and, and just being on the medical side of it and learning about labs and imaging and blood counts and trying to put that medical piece together, I found fascinating and I wanted to really establish a good kind of baseline framework for my practice in the hospital setting. And I didn't actually work in Canada very long, just under a year and I moved to London, England. And I worked in a little surgical hospital there, right on the Thames, it was beautiful, it's still there. And there were several surgeons there who did cancer surgery. So one was a breast surgeon, one uh, did surgeries for patients with gynecologic malignancies, and one was a very, very amazing sarcoma surgeon. And so I got to go into the OR with them and see these surgeries and half of, at least half of the PTs at that hospital were lymphedema therapists. And you know, lymphedema treatment really originated in Western Europe, right? In Germany and Austria with the Foldy Clinic and the Vodder School, yeah. and Dr. Vodder. Um, and so they've been doing this since the 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't see this hit this side of the ocean till the 70s, 80s, 90s. Yep. So they're really far ahead of us. And I didn't understand why everyone there was a lymphedema therapist. Uh So off I went and did my training and I started to see these patients and I just fell in love with seeing these patients, you know, their quality of life went up immediately when you gave them the care they needed. Yeah. There was, they had the the bandaging and materials coming from Germany, even 20 years ago were amazing. And, um, I I just realized how much I love this population. And luckily in the little hospital I was working at, I got to see patients before surgery, after surgery in outpatients and at home. I had to do everything because we had to do everything. There weren't many of us. Um, So I kind of fell into that. And then I moved to Boston and started at Mass General and kind of became the consult that people would ask, hey, this patient has swelling or this woman had lymphedema after breast cancer. Now she's been admitted for something totally different, but how can we get her care while she's here? Um, So things like that. And I, I quickly became that consult service It was very helpful on the medicines when I was on the medical service, because I could treat swelling of all different kinds of origins. And there's really a great place for that in hospital. And I wish more PTs and OTs were lymphedema therapists on the inpatient service. I think it would really serve the patients well. Yep. Um, So then I moved to outpatients to this position that I'm in 10, almost 10 years ago now. And it has been, you know, I, I feel like I fell into this and, and this, it's been a beautiful fall. It's, I think I am where I was meant to be in my career, um, but this ability to direct the research program here with Dr. Tegan um, and the ability to continue my practice as a clinical specialist in outpatients, it's just a really nice balance. It was not at all what I planned. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 everything happens for a reason. And I feel like I'm in the right place. And I have a great mentor and Dr. Tagian and a great group of lymphedema therapists around me young and up and coming and super curious and great clinicians. So I feel very lucky.
0: Excellent. Will be three valuable tips that you learn about your journey that you can share with the audience. I would say, you know, I think I'm around a lot of younger PTs who
1: are not at all involved in research. And I would say dip your foot in, you know, there's so much room for PTs to just get involved at any level they want. Um, Join a SIG, follow the literature. If someone asks you to help out with a book chapter, go ahead and try. You know, there's always someone around you can ask to mentor you, but just get involved. Um, I would say, explore opportunities rather than following your plan. I would be in a very different place if I didn't kind of just follow the road where it went and I went with my plan. Maybe it would have been good anyway, but um, <laughs> felt very scary to make some of the moves that I did, but I think they turned out to be good decisions, great decisions. And finally, I think as a, as, a, as a, one of the leadership here in the physical therapy department, A piece of advice I always got is to try to build a team with people who are better than you and stronger than you. You know, put in place people who are better than you and mentor them and get a strong team and never be intimidated by the people around you. Mm -hmm. It takes a village to treat these patients. And we're so lucky here. I have hand therapists when my patient has a trigger finger. You know, I have a neurologic therapist when my patient has a tumor in her brachial plexus and I don't quite know what to do that's the best care for this patient. So I really try to surround myself with with great people and try to give younger staff opportunities to start in research and just dip their feet in. And some staff have taken to this as their passion and we I think they have unlimited potential. Um, so those would be those would be my three suggestions.
0: How about for cancer patients? What would be some valuable tips for us a clinician for these patients? For these patients, I would say, unfortunately,
1: patients have to be their own self-advocates. Yep. So a lot of times patients are being nice and kind and not wanting to complain and not wanting to say anything. I tell patients, tell anyone who will listen, talk loudly to the that you need help with whatever's going on or you need to better understand whatever's going on. A lot of us in the healthcare world don't understand lymphedema. We just don't. And we underestimate its impact on patients. Quality of life is the problem with lymphedema. It's a huge emotional burden, financial burden. I don't need to tell you. um, Cost burden. And patients do need to tell anyone who will listen. You know, I think my patients tell me all the time when cancer treatment finished, everyone around me thought I was fine. And I just was going to move on and move forward. And lymphedema kicks you in the shin after you finish treatment in many times. And I think they need to tell the people around them they're not fine and this is really hard to deal with and they need your support and they need to seek out treatment as well. Um, Also, I I think they just need to understand that there's a lot we don't know and that we're trying, but there's really a lot we don't know and there are good resources like Lymphatic Education and Research Research Network who are very very supportive for patients um, to develop connections and develop um, connection to kind of what's happening in the research world that might help them and benefit them. And the other thing I would say to patients is if you have a lymphedema therapist, first of all, find one who you trust, Mm -hmm. find one who, you know, is giving you enough treatment. It's a big problem right now that therapists feel very pushed and very high pressure because volume is so high. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we give patients less Mm-hmm. It means we might have to wait to see you, but we still need to give you what you need. Mm-hmm. So I think to be able to push and if you feel like it's not a match, you need to find one who is a match and make sure you're getting quality care and speak to your team about it.
0: Okay. How about your uh, most painful lesson and you, through your journey? Mm-hmm. Um, I One of them
1: was that... I really didn't have a full understanding how much patients had to really do on their own. And I, I struggle with that still that patients really need to advocate for themselves. And when I think about lymphatic diseases, I think about lipidema mm-hmm. and those patients. I just met a patient a few weeks back who struggled for a diagnosis for 30 years. Oh my God should not be right. That should not be. No, no.
0: Um,
1: she should have had her diagnosis decades ago. And that puts her in a very different place emotionally, physically than where she would have been had, had she been diagnosed a long time ago. And so I, I teach patients to really self-advocate, but I think that was a very painful lesson for me to learn that we didn't do better by these patients yeah, because we didn't know. And we didn't maybe make an attempt to know for a long time. Um, Another painful lesson is that getting into the research world, understanding that lymphatic diseases are totally understudied, (laughs) under-researched, and under-recognized. It's a battle to get financial support for our research, and I spend a lot of time writing grants and looking for money to fund research, many, many hours that could be spent doing something else like treating patients or contributing something to the literature um, and finally, the third thing I would say is just till now, I think we're vastly improving now, but the quality of research, the quality of treatment and the quality of measurement, quality of screening. I think quality in general, we are working on, but there's still so much we could do better. So I think we need to keep looking you know, within and realizing that there's a lot we could do better do not as a patient or a CLT read a paper and think that study was done perfectly. It's really hard to do a study. It is. <laughs> and none of our, say for us, none of our studies are perfect. They all have limitations, but critique those for their quality and, and, and really learn how to read research papers so that you can draw from them things that you can bring to your practice that really truly are evidence-based.
0: Excellent there is anything that you have that will be of value for our audience and will you share that with us? I
1: think overwhelmingly something a patient told me when I was I was talking um, at a conference about quality of life in PT and I asked my patients, what, what do you need? You know, what is it that I could bring to you or that I could talk about that you need? And they said, tell me I have hope. Tell me about hope. And I thought that was so good. And I think that's what we can bring now. There's, you know, there's so much happening in this world. Um, So I think first hope that lymphedema education is finally happening. When you are learning to be a PT, an OT, a physician, you're now learning in school about the lymphatic system. Yeah. Um, I, I've been doing a few lectures at the university level and and it's been so well received because it's something that we just didn't learn. I wish I would've learned that, right? Yeah. Um, so I think hope that people around you are actually going to know more about this and for your kids or for people with lipoedema whose families have been affected by this. Hopefully we can stop the not knowing and, and be able to recognize these things. Hope that knowledge of lymphatic diseases is improving. Research is growing in leaps and bounds. And the NIH now has this commission for lymphatic diseases, literally devoted to lymphatic diseases and funds set, being set aside for lymphatic disease research. That's awesome. That's great to hear. It's so much is happening, right? And hope that their uh, garments can finally be covered. Yeah. This Lymphedema Treatment Act just passed, right? Yeah. This is a federal law now that Yes
0: perfect
1: yeah i saw that last week yeah i know so this goes into effect january 1st 2024 so there will be coverage for compression garments and supplies and we know as lymphedema therapists right how expensive these can be and these patients need to keep replacing them so there will now be support for this and coverage for this and finally hope that there are surgical options too And, and there's a lot of research being done about surgical options so In the past, you know this as well, there are just patients where we can treat them the best we possibly could, and we can't get their lymphedema under control to the extent that we would like. And now there's options that I can offer them for surgical reconstruction, um, which we never could have done. And I think we're in a completely different place now than we even were five and 10 years ago. So I can't even imagine where we'll be. In yeah. five or two more years, I have a lot of hope in so many ways with yeah. lymphatic diseases.
0: Yes. And, and and a little piggybacking on that is just so nice to be able to tell a patient, you know, when we have, pa- like, I remember when we started doing our lymphedema transplant program with Dr. holt back then, like, you know, eight years ago or whatever. And I remember, you know, super exciting doing all that. And then at that point, you know, before that, we were telling patients, really, we don't, nothing else can be done right so you're just gonna have to live like this for the rest of your life and hopefully you have less amount of cellulitis a year or, or like you know just just it's not gonna continue growing and then we did a start the lymph transplant program and it's amazing how i've been seeing him growing over there uh you know over Bed israel and doing amazing things that now is so great to be able to have a patient come in and say i, I understand there's nothing else can be done like no it's a ton of things can be done I want you to go see it. so and so and you know it's so many options now so it is great to see that turning and yeah. you're, I'm so excited to see what's happy what will be happening in five years or so about this absolutely how people can find you and I will put your uh, information on the podcast description but if you can just tell us a little bit like how can they find you
1: well, so I'm at Mass General Hospital in Boston. So we are on Twitter, our lymphedema program's on Twitter. It's at lymphedema MGH. So they can always check us out on Twitter and send a message and that will get connected through to me. We have a website that if you Google MGH breast cancer related lymphedema program, it will pop right up. And that will show you you know, who our team is, what we do. It has links to all the research that we've done and our papers. Um, And if you if you'd like to send a message through to the program that way, that will also get through to me. Um, And I'm I'm here and not going anywhere, so I'm pretty easy to
0: find. Excellent! Excellent! I wish you were a little bit closer to Florida. (laughs) Sometimes I wish I was closer to Florida too, especially in January. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, How about books that you would recommend to our audience? You know, I, I think I talked to you a little bit about this. I, I really often just read
1: to escape or or most of my escape is running, um, a little bit of running. And I don't often put music on or podcasts or any of that. Um, and a lot of the reading I do is is lymphedema journals and, and research. But one book that I just connected with, um, I actually read it a long time ago, it was A Man Called Uwe, which was made into a movie here, A Man Called Otto with Tom Hanks. <laughs> and the book was way better than the movie. I read it a long time ago, but it's a Swedish book. And it's a really nice u- use of uh, dark humor. And um, it's, it's heart-wrenching, the book. Um, if you haven't read it, I would say read the book, don't watch the movie. Not that okay. the movie was not good. But okay. you know, it's about relationships and understanding that when people are at their worst, that's when they need people the most, even people who, who feel uninvited. You know, insert yourself knowing that somebody needs you and it's the little things, a little kindness, a little perseverance goes a long way. And I think the message of this movie at the end was one person, even though he didn't realize it, had a dramatic impact on a lot of lives. Uh Um, And I think it's just a nice, a nice book about connection and the importance of that and that all hope is not lost. You can connect. And the other book I go back to, which is going to sound kind of funny But Foldy's textbook of lymphology Uh is the same book I would say for CLTs, probably not so much for patients, but you know, the deeper I get into research and patient care, I still have to go back and review my anatomy and review the basics and, and think about why are we doing this, this particular garment? What am I hope? What am I physiologically, you know, achieving or when I'm doing my research Going back to the physiology and the anatomy is just really helpful. And as lymphedema therapists, I think we should go back to the basics a lot more than, than we probably do. We need to find time to do that. So I do still love that book. It's one of the few that still sits above. There's very little paper in my life, but right. that's one that sits right above my desk and I grab it often. Okay, perfect. How about movies? So I really, really watch movies to escape. And I have two boys. So the depth of the movies I've watched recently is not deep. And I will tell you, I went and watched Mission Impossible on the weekend. <laughs> it's great because it was a great escape, right? It, it, is. Like pure it fun, is. pure fun, pure escapism and time with my two boys, which I covet. So um, anything they like to watch, I generally do too. And that was my most recent one. But I would just encourage, again, we all work so hard, right? And yep. patience just have tough long days with treatment and we ask a lot of them just to escape with your yep. movie
0: exactly and no matter what kind of movie if you know if you like comedy if you like horror yeah. if you like romantic if you whatever whatever works yeah. i was i was talking with somebody else yesterday and she they talk about like the oh what is it the blonde oh my god i forgot um what's the name of this movie um Oh, no, just, uh, I I'm so bad with names. Um, no, she's like a lawyer, blonde. Um, is that that one? Yes, that one, that one. That was uh-huh. like, so that was much fun. One. I was like just laughing about it because I love that movie. You know, it's like, it's so funny. That so, was a
1: total escape.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a <laughs> total escape. Is yeah. any question that you wish I would have asked you and would you have answered The
1: only thing I think I, oh, is maybe tell me about something you're, tell me about a project you're excited about right now in the, in the lymphedema world. And what I would answer is that a big part of what we're doing now is working on breast edema, And it's something that, you know, I've struggled to care for over the, the time I've been treating lymphedema and we know so little about it. Yeah. So for women who have a lumpectomy or partial mastectomy, a lot of them go on to develop this breast swelling. It doesn't, it's not just postoperatively. it lasts a long time in many women and it's very symptomatic, it's very bothersome. Um, So I'm really interested in learning more. We have some studies on it, certainly in the literature, but learning more in a very current cohort, you know, what causes it, screen for it, look for it, look for risk factors, figure out how to treat it, um, help patients understand who's at the highest risk and to try to figure out what we should really be doing about it. So that's a project I'm really excited about. I just finished writing a grant, just submitted to the NIH, so cross our yeah, fingers.
0: So
1: that's been my reading the last six months. Um, but uh, we're really excited about that project because it's one that impacts patients a lot. You right. have breast conserving surgery and they don't see it again, like lymphedema of any kind. They just don't see it coming and it's bothersome.
0: I, and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you are mentioning that just because um it's another part as well, which I'm sure you're being challenged, is how do we measure that, right? I ask that on every conference I go, like yeah. I've been asking that to Julia, Osborne, you know, like everyone that does a lot of lectures is like, how do we come up with a good way objectively to measure breast lymphedema, right? Or trunk lymphedema. And so I'm excited you actually diving into that because it's, it's, I, I'm totally agree with you. Like you know, I, you do all these other, you know, ribcage pumps and and mobilization and manual drainage and doing all those things and all these new pathways that now we are moving into. Right versus the typical anastomosis we were doing, a lot of things are start changing so much based on Australian research, but. Um, I'm so excited you're doing that because it's a lot of things we can really learn from what you guys get on research for that. So that's great.
1: And not just for patients with breast cancer. I'm you know, seeing a patient right now who had lung cancer yep, and had, had lymph nodes removed with that. And she developed truncal lymphedema just on one side. And um, so again, like you said, we're throwing everything at it and using everything we can. But a lot of those patients with thoracic surgeries end up with trunk lymphedema, and we don't measure it well, and we don't really know how to treat it well, so we throw everything at it, but that's
0: very time-consuming for patients. It would be nice to know exactly what we should be doing. Exactly. Well, that has been so much fun, Cheryl. Thank you so much for sharing tons of great information. I'm so excited to have you here and to see you. Uh, I really appreciate you like, being part of this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's always
1: a pleasure to talk
0: to you. Absolutely. And you have a great rest of the afternoon. Thank you and you. Okay, bye.